Well, good morning, and welcome to the Rosely Banton Show. No. Uh, um, uh, now, you're like, what on earth was Aaron doing, other than being a, uh, being a rude jerk? Um, now, while, while you and I probably wouldn't go around verbalizing our, our full opinions of everyone, right, the different ways that we might judge someone, the ways we might think of, uh, think of someone, we might not verbally do that, right? Our general human nature looks for ways that we are better than others. That is a default nature of my flesh, is to look at other people and think, how am I better than you? Okay? And um, I, I, before I continue, I will publicly acknowledge I probably drink just as much caffeine as Lee does. Uh, he is one of my best friends. The only thing true in what I was saying there is I do think his love for the Ravens and John loves for the Steelers is over the top and ridiculous. Um, but we naturally look for ways to think that we're better than those around us. Um, now, the most common, uh, kind of the most common of these, um, uh, hey, you go to my first slide there for me, Liam, while this thing turns on. Um, most common, there we go, uh, is the area of performance, right? I'm better at you than this sport, in this musical instrument. This is, this is probably where we're the most verbal about it, that I've got this skill that you don't have and I'm, you know, playing basketball, and I'm going to trash talk you uh, a little bit about this. Um, but it's in art, music, etc. I can feel better about myself because I have this skill that you don't have. Um, kind of the second one is in terms of appearance. Uh, let's just be real. I am the best looking person here. Um, I'll just say, the sad thing, uh, I would say, about kind of the way we judge people in appearance is most of the people who judge, who the people that are the most judgmental of other people in the area of appearance are generally the people that look in the mirror every day and see themselves as ugly. Just be, being honest, when the people that are going out and being like, well, you don't dress this way, you don't look this way, are the same people that look in the mirror and see themselves as ugly. Third area there that I put is that I'm morally better than you, right? I look at you and I pick out the bad things that I think you are doing, or at least what I think is bad, and I'm going to be like, see, I'm morally better uh, than this person, right? Um, not to be overly politically here, uh, but, you know, if you're in the, talking about like the pro-choice, pro-life movement, pro-choice people are like, you Christians say that you're pro-life, but you don't do enough to support babies once they're born. And you don't care enough for the poor people. And, and that's one of their major arguments. You say you're pro-life, but we do more to care about poor people. On the flip side, um, you know, the pro-life people would be like, well, we're morally better because you're killing babies, right? Um, and, and, but it's me, I we do this all the time where we look at the way that that person, maybe they drink more alcohol than I do and I, I, they party and I don't or they're doing this when, when people aren't looking and we kind of keep this list. They, 
They use that language, it's inappropriate, whatever it is. We keep this list for how I am morally better than you. And finally, in terms of intellect, you, you, I'm sure you see this in the area of I get better grades uh, than you in kind of that arena. Um, but it's also, it's also just the different ways that we think our ideas are better than the, the other people's ideas. My thoughts, my plans uh, are just better, uh, better than yours, right? Um, you know, a few weeks ago uh, when we had, uh, when we were talking about creation and evolution, I mean, one of the big things the world says is if you believe in creation, you are just an uninformed, uneducated person. And they're like, we're better than you because we don't hold to such foolishness. Um, but I think the church does the exact same thing on the, on the reverse. Like, we're better than you because we don't listen to such foolishness. And in the church as well, we can say, well, I know all these Bible stories and I know all these Bible verses. I'm just smarter. Uh, I am smarter than you. And primarily today, uh, what we're going to talk about today uh, applies to all of four of these, but I'm really going to focus on those last two, kind of the, the morals uh, and, and the intellect, okay? Um, and, and here's kind of, the, kind of the big picture key point of today, is that we are all equally loved and valued in the gospel. Um, because when I judge in those areas, particularly in the moral and the intellect way, I am going to start to think that the gospel is for me and for good people like me and not for the bad people in the rest of the world. But the gospel isn't just for people who think they're really great. Actually, that really goes against what the gospel's about. The gospel's all about how we're sinful, we're separated from God, we don't deserve God's goodness. But God is so, so, so good to us. Now, um, help me out here. Senior hires, what book of the Bible have you been studying? Yes, Drake, Acts, okay. Junior hires, what book of the Bible have you been studying? Yes, Galatians, Galatians okay. Um, now, today, uh, today, We've already kind of seen the junior high worship team and the senior high worship team together uh, come together. This is crazy. How, what, where you guys are in Acts. Anyone know what chapter you're on in Acts? Yes. No, you're not on, they're not on nine and you're not in senior high. Yes. Okay. They're on eight. Okay. It's amazing the way that Acts chapter eight, and there's one chapter in Galatians junior highers that we haven't talked about. We've talk, I've talked about every other chapter except for one, and I, I did kind of skip it. Yes. No, I talked about four. Yeah. No. Six. Six. No. Three. Okay, there we go. Okay, how Galatians 3 and Acts 8 uh, combine. We got a, kind of the epic collab uh, today. Um, but in both of these, right, in Acts, you've been seeing how God's glory has been on display, growing and developing uh, his church uh, and and in, uh, in Galatians, we're seeing um, kind of the, all the byproducts of, of walking uh, with the Lord as we both, both junior high and senior high, have been on a series um, on, uh, there you go, living in the upside down uh, kingdom. Now, 
um, with, where, with where you guys are in Acts, uh, there's uh, three cultures, and we're going to see the same thing, a uh, similar thing in Galatians today. Three cultures I want to make sure we know about uh, before we dive uh, into God's word. Okay, first of all, uh, are the Jews, right? And up to this point in Acts, where you guys are at, the gospel is only going out to Jews, right? Um, they, uh, they have the whole Old Testament law about, uh, about purity, uh, about uh, all the commands, and now Jesus has come and been the fulfillment of the law. They've experienced Jesus' death, uh, resurrection, Pentecost, and we're, we're you know, maybe six months after, after uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus rose, okay? But in their mind, you had to first be Jewish to be a Christian. The gospel is primarily going out uh, to uh, the Jewish world, okay? Um, but then uh, we're going to look today about a group of people called the Samaritans, okay? Now, um, anyone know know how Jews thought about Samaritans? What was kind of what was their general vibe mojo about Samaritans? Okay, they didn't like them. Anyone know where the Samaritans were from? What? Okay, that's a really dumb question. Samaria. Okay, you have your hand up. Okay, but uh, but kind of ethnically, what was what was different about the Samaritans? Yeah, you know. Okay, well, that's not actually 100% true. Yes? Okay, uh, so when the, uh, when the Assyrian Empire came in 722 BC, okay, they came and they defeated the northern ten tribes of Israel. Well, the Assyrians' method for population control and, and controlling different groups was they take a big portion of the population um, and take them as slaves and, and put them somewhere else in the empire. And then they take other captured people and bring them into the land, okay? So you kind of move everyone around so no one really has their own home turf. And then they'd force them all to kind of intermarry and create a new culture. And that new culture was far less likely to rebel against Assyrian authority. That was their mantra. And that's what the Samaritans were. They were... There were a, a portion of them kind of Jewish, some Jewish ancestry, but then a whole bunch of other people groups that have been kind of brought in from other portions of the Assyrian Empire. And as you already mentioned, the Jews looked at them as inferior half-breeds. They, they kind of followed the Old Testament law. They were doing some things that were good, but they were just like, you're just not clean like us. You know, a lot of uh, Jews... Uh, that lived in Galilee up there, they were, if they needed to go down to Jerusalem, they kind of walk around Samaria. They kind of cross the Jordan River. Um, if they were up here, a lot of them would kind of cross here to get around because they didn't want to have to walk through Samaria. That's why the Je- Jesus' disciples were just so shocked in John 4 when he goes to Samaria and starts talking to a Samaritan woman. The, sorry, the woman at the well. Okay, other group... Uh, we're going to look at today uh, is uh, the Ethiopians, okay? Now, in their day, uh, what we refer to as Ethiopia is a little different uh, than what they would refer to uh, as, uh, as Ethiopia. Um, it's probably more like in uh, kind of the southern area of Sudan. Um, incidentally, um, do you know what the n- newest country in the world is? Yeah, Jude. 
South Sudan. In 2011, it uh, had its independence from Sudan. And while we think of this area here as uh, like a predominantly uh, Islamic uh, part of the world, and it is, actually, South Sudan had a huge Christian population, and there was a lot of oppression and issues going on between the north, which is predominantly Muslim, and the south, which is predominantly Christian. Um, a lot of fighting, and then eventually uh, South Sudan declared uh, its independence. Um, anyone know kind of where the gospel witness started in in that area? Anyone know kind of where gospel witness and where their interest in God even, where our first kind of record? Yeah. Juba. Juba? It is Juba. That is the capital. You can read the capital is Juba. That is, okay, that was not what I was looking for, but good job reading. Um, okay, uh, yes. Okay, yes. The Queen of Sheba, which is also probably from this same area here, uh, the Queen of Sheba comes and visits Solomon. He hears of his wisdom. That's probably their kind of first exposure to it. And then we are going to see today in Acts 8, uh, someone from the court of the Queen of Can- Candace, probably from this area here, come, is coming to Jerusalem uh, to hear. And so that's probably where a lot of that, that gospel witness came from. And that's what we're going to look at today uh, in Acts. And again, kind of our key point, we're all equally loved and valued in the gospel. Okay. I want to pray uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive uh, back into God's Word, okay? Uh, God in heaven, um, we again just come before you grateful for the opportunity to be together today. And God, now, just as we look at your Word, I pray that we just see the richness of the gospel, how good you have been to us, Lord, and may it just cause us to worship you, Lord. Um, and God, may we just see how good you are, and may that just change the way that we love others. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, here we go. Now, uh, Book of Acts opens, okay, I know this is a little bit of review. Book of Acts opens, and what happens in the first chapter of Acts? Anyone? Yeah. Okay, Pentecost, okay. So Jesus ascends to heaven 40 days later. Holy Spirit comes, descends on the believers. Big revival that's happening Thousands of people coming to know the Lord. Um, and, uh, but, you know, some of the religious leaders are like, whoa, what's happening here? And there's been some opposition. But then finally, in uh, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, what happened last week? Acts chapter 7. Acts ch- chapter 7. Lyle, yeah. Okay, yes. Stephen got stoned to death. Uh, he was the first martyr. Uh, first martyr. And now picking it up in in Acts chapter 8, we read this. And Saul, who had become Paul, approved of his, this is Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except apostles. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, so... Uh, there had been a little opposition before, but now the persecution is becoming real for the church. Um, and Saul, who will become Paul, is kind of leading, leading this charge. Okay? Verse 4, we read, Now those who were scattered 
went about preaching the word. I love this verse. I think this is one of the coolest, it's just a really cool verse in the Bible because Saul is like, I'm going to put a stop to these stupid Christian people. I'm going to start killing them. Let's go. Put them in jail. I want to stop this. And his efforts to stop the gospel actually make it spread more. Um, it's just cool ways that God works. Man, man's it for evil. God had a cool plan. Okay, verse five. Now Philip went down from the city, to, down to a, the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now, what we see really simply, Philip's going to Samaria preaching the gospel. But I, I want us to notice just how culturally like different, weird, odd this would be. Shocking this would be. Again, when the disciples went to Samaria uh, with the story of the woman of the well, all the disciples were like, what are we doing here? Why are we here? They're shocked that Jesus is talking to someone there. Um, this could have been easily the same city uh, in Samaria that, that they'd been to before. But it's just, it's, yeah. I don't think we realize just how much kind of the disdain, the hatred, the like, ugh, those just, ugh, people. Ugh, why would, we, why would we want to hang out with them? They're just dirty and smelly. Ugh. Um, and and this, isn't a, this isn't the perfect analogy, so don't take it too far. Um, and, and I think we, we should have compassion, but I think we can easily look today at maybe like homeless people and we're like, oh, look at your problems. Right? We should have compassion, but that's the way, this is the way that they would look at uh, the Samaritans. Now they go, he goes and preaches and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was much joy in the city. Uh, there's just this huge response uh, to the gospel. It's really cool uh, what's, what's going on. Now, in response to, to kind of the gospel going out, and, and it gets back to the, the people in Jerusalem, leaders in Jerusalem, and they're like, wait a second, Samaritans have the gospel being preached to them. It's kind of weird, but we'll go check it out. So they dispatched Peter and John, and they come, and they kind of they, you know, check it out, and, and there's actually this whole other story of a guy named Simon who actually, uh, if you were in the main services this morning, uh, Jim was talking about it. A guy named Simon basically comes up to Peter and be like, yo, can I have the powers you have, right, to, to, uh, with the Holy Spirit and to heal people? And he's like, I want those. Let me give you some money. And Peter rebukes him there. But, uh, but he was a believer and he was just like, hey, well, I, I want this too. Guy repents. Um, but what I, what I hope you see here is culturally, the Jews would say, we are morally better than you. Yet the gospel is going out to them. In Christ, we are all loved. Now, in, as the passage continues in verse 25, it says, Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they, this is Peter and John, uh, returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. They're like, oh yeah, hey, we should be preaching this message to them. So that's what they go out and do. Now in verse 26, and an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that is down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. 
kind of a random request, a random thing that the Holy Spirit commands Philip to do. Go to a desert. I, okay, I'll go to a, you know, he's not going to some super populated place, but the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to go to this random desert. So he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Okay, So he, this official from Candace's court has come, again, probably the same uh, same tradition from almost a thousand years from when uh, the queen of Sheba came uh, to uh, to to uh, talk to Solomon. There we go. Um, and he's coming. He's a high-ranking official, a treasurer, a uh, high-ranking official, and he is there, and he's now sitting there reading the scroll of Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Now, it's going to be interesting uh, this dialogue that Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch have, because Philip, Philip is kind of like, well, you're reading, but do you have any clue what you're reading? Yes, you may physically have the ability to read, but I just want to let you know a little bit that I'm kind of smarter. I know what I'm talking about, and I'm not really sure you know what you're talking about, right? And he's not doing it in a super arrogant way, but that's kind of his mindset, and their mindset to a lot of the Ethiopians, like, okay, hey, it's cool that you uh, want to follow the Old Testament law and all that sort of stuff. That's great. But you, do you really know? Are you really learned? Are you educated? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I mean, and this is what the Ethiopian guy believes about himself. He's like, well, I, I just, unless someone tells me what to believe, I, I just randomly read stuff, Right? I just read the Bible. I don't know even what I'm reading. I, I'm not smart enough unless someone guides me. And so uh, Philip starts talking to him, and the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Just happened to be a good coincidence. That's a sarcastic. Um, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears uh, is silent. So he opens not his mouth. Anyone know where this is found in the Old Testament? Yeah. No. Isaiah. Anyone know what chapter in Isaiah it's found in? Okay. Yes. 53. Let's go. Yes. This is found in Isaiah 53. If you read Isaiah 53, it's a ton of prophecies about, uh, about the coming of the Messiah. Um, and this is exactly what we're celebrating on Good Friday. Like a lamb, before Shear is silent, he's going to the slaughter. And Jesus didn't defend himself uh, before Pilate or anywhere. He just, he knew what was coming. He knew God's plan and he went with it. He opened not his mouth. Um, and so it continues in verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, uh, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. He now kind of breaks out the whole Old Testament, kind of says, hey, this is Jesus. This is how Jesus was the fulfillment of it. And, and finally, we read this in verse 36. And they were going along the road and it came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? 
You notice it wasn't Philip's idea to baptize the Ethiopian guy. It's the Ethiopian guy's like, hey, I want water. See, Philip is like, wait, I, I, I mean, the Holy Spirit told me to do this, but this is kind of weird to have a, an Ethiopian really come to know the Lord. Is, is, is he, can he really be a Christian? I, like, I, I'm not really sure. And you see kind of that hesitation uh, in Philip. Um, and then he, he pull over the chariot, baptize him, and then Philip pieces out, right? Uh, again, he is looking at the Ethiopians as intellectually inferior. And now the gospel is going out to them. The Jews thought the gospel was just for them. And now the Samaritans and Ethiopians are receiving the gospel. You see, in Christ, every one of us has value. Every one of us has significance. Every one of us has purpose, has meaning. The gospel is to be a blessing for all people. Okay? Uh, turn to your neighbor real quick. Someone you love around you. I want you to answer this. What are areas you tend to judge others so you feel superior to them? I know this is a transparent question, but just I would love for you to maybe turn to someone you trust around you and say, what are, what are ways you judge others to feel superior? Go. You no, know, I, I roasted Lee a little bit earlier. Um, and we're going to look at Galatians for a minute, okay? Don't look at the, uh, Galatians 3 for a minute, okay? Does anyone know who wrote the book of Galatians? Uh, yes, Paul, Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Does anyone know who he wrote the book of Galatians to? Yes. Galatia. Galatia. Okay, here we go. Um, so Apostle Paul goes on his first missionary journey, shh, goes on his first missionary journey, preaches the gospel here, but after he preaches, there's a lot of opposition from Jewish people who come in and say, well, if you want to be a Christian, uh, you have to become a Jew first. So a lot of the same Set a, set a mindset. These are the churches here that the book of Galatians is written, uh, written to. And they're coming through and saying, yes, hey, it's good that you believe, but you need to do all these good Jewish things if you're really going to be, uh, going to be a Christian, okay? And this is what we read in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians. Other translations will say like stupid Galatians. I always thought it's funny to write, read the word stupid in the Bible. Um, but he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was, was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What Paul's point is here is, how did you come to know the Lord? How did you begin your relationship with the Lord? Well, your relationship with the Lord started the same way my relationship with the Lord started, by faith, by faith that God sent Jesus into this world to live a perfect life and to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins and to rise from the dead. I, my, my relationship with God started that way by faith. And so if it started that way, why am I now going to live a different way? If I couldn't earn my salvation, I needed faith to start a relationship with God. Why do I think now that I can earn God's love, earn God's favor, and if it's, it's no longer um, by, uh, by faith, okay? Um, and that's kind of his, his big point here 
in Galatians 3. And he's going to give a lot of examples from the Old Testament kind of to back up his point. He's going to talk about Abraham and how Abraham was justified or made right with God by faith, not by works. Um, And it's kind of summarized as he's quoting from uh, Genesis. Uh, It says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It is by, uh, by faith that he is saved, not by works. Now, going back to our, our three groups that we, we looked at, the Jews, the Samaritans, and Ethiopians, all three of them, in, in, to, in their own ways, tried to follow the Old Testament law, mostly. But all three of those groups, even in the Old Testament, what saved them wasn't keeping that law. It was their faith in a coming Messiah. What saved people in the Old Testament wasn't that they did all the right good things. It's that they believed that God was sending a Messiah. And the same thing is true for us today. Our good deeds, as uh, as Pastor Jim was talking about in the main service, they don't save us. They should be a byproduct of our faith. They're evidence of our faith. They testify about our faith but we're still saved by faith. And so Paul goes off on this long argument then, well, if I'm saved by faith, why did God even give us all the commands? Why did he give us the rules? And we read this in verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. He's gonna go off and talk about how the law was pointing everyone to faith in Jesus Christ. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch reads, is reading from Isaiah, and he's like, this, this lamb led to a slaughter, didn't speak. What is he talking about? And that was pointing to our, our pointing to Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. I um, mean, it, it's pointing uh, to that. And he's saying the whole Old Testament is making it clear, first of all, that you are a sinner, so that you need faith in Jesus Christ. It says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. This word translated guardian here, in other translations, it's called a tutor. Uh, um, um, but both, both of them, I think, are, are really kind of key as we understand that. A tutor, someone who's going to help explain something. Someone who's going to help point you in some right direction so you can learn things. A guardian, right? A guardian is, hey, my, I don't have my, my parents aren't around, can't do that. So there's, a, there's someone else who becomes your guardian to protect you, to help you grow, to make sure your needs are met, to point you in the right direction. And he's saying the law was doing that for us until Christ came to point us to Christ. And how does this all apply? If all of us have that exact same need for Christ, all of us are sinful and messed up and have nothing, all of us are the same in the gospel. It's not like I can boast and say, well, I didn't do this and you did and therefore God loves me and God doesn't love you. All of us are the same 
in the gospel. And this is what he says in uh, verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under that guardian for we are in Christ. You are all sons of God through faith. Not just the Jews are, not just the Gentiles are, the Samaritans or the Ethiopians or bald people or anything like that. We're all sons of God through faith. And as many of you who are baptized into Christ have been put on Christ. We're all clothed, baptized, put in the same thing. It's not like there's any difference between us. And so therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or fem- and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's a really powerful statement there. And, and I, I think we can... We, we can just gloss over that in our minds. But this would have been such a radical, radical statement in Paul's day when he made this. Okay? Remember, the Jews just think that they're morally better than everyone. They're smarter than everyone. And so they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No distinction between us and all those pagan Gentiles who all do all those like yucky sacrifices and they're bad because of this, that, and the next thing. Right? Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, again, maybe in our day, the like, well, hey, we, we have our whole lives together and you're a, a drug user who's homeless and like, we're better than you, right? They're going to have that moral, like superiority. They're going to just look down on people. That's radical for them to say there's neither Jew nor Greek. They're neither slave nor free. Uh, again, we, we don't have... Uh, the same form of slavery and things like that that he's talking about in their day and age. And so we look at that, and that's kind of weird. But, but to have people in just totally different classes that you couldn't change class or anything like that, and to say, you imagine on a, on a Monday, a Tuesday, right? Someone is working manual labor as a slave, a property of someone else. There's another dude who's rich, who's just kind of got all his slaves, doing all this stuff for him. And then they come to church together on a weekend and they call each other friends and brothers. Like how radical of a concept that would be. It's crazy. And, and then, it, I don't, we just don't have, a, we don't have something similar in our, in our modern world. In, in the world that unfortunately we, that, or that you guys are, are growing up in. That's fortunate that we do not have that. Um, but it's just such a radical concept. I mean, then the one, male or female, in their culture, women were property. And he's saying there's no distinction there. And that's why there's so much about caring for widows in the Bible because it's, it's talking about, man, with, you're all... If you didn't have a, a, a man, a husband to provide for you, you were left destitute in poverty and all that sort of stuff. And he's saying, hey, in Christ, all of these big separating things in our society are no more. An absolutely, absolutely radical concept. And, and just going back to verse 25 where he says, as you were baptized into, into Christ, having put on Christ, okay? And... What I, what I pray that you, you understand here is when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, 
that God sent Jesus into this world to live a perfect life that I couldn't live, to die on a cross and pay the penalty for my sin and rise from the dead. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it like this, okay? I don't have my wallet with me, but I have my cell phone, right? Okay, if this hand represents me, my cell phone represents my sin, the different things that I have done wrong, okay? This hand represents Jesus. Jesus is absolutely perfect. It says, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us. My sin placed on his account so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We would have God's perfection, all my junk placed on God's account. And now God, or on Christ's account, now God looks at me with absolute perfection. Not my perfection, but Jesus' perfection. And God looks at Uh, God looks at each of you who place your faith in Jesus Christ in the exact same way. God doesn't look at, God doesn't look at Anne and see Anne's perfection. God looks at Anne and sees Jesus's perfection. God doesn't look at Todd and see Todd's goodness and Todd's niceness and Todd's kindness. He looks at Todd and sees Jesus's goodness and perfection. God looks at us all the same. And so when we're talking, we're talking about the unifying principle of, uh, of, uh, of this whole passage, again, that would have been so radical to them. And Paul in just such powerful ways is saying, man, in Christ, neither Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female. Now, how does that apply to us today? I don't think I'm going around and, you know, doing too much of that. I don't know. Maybe. Turn to your neighbor real quick. Answer this question. You've got one minute. What are ways that we live like, the, live like the gospel is not for anyone? I want you to just kind of think about that for one minute, and then we're going to wrap this up. I hope you would see from that how foolish, how kind of silly it is when we might think we're better or more deserving of God's grace than other people, right? It's kind of silly if, if, if Todd is going to come over here to Jeff and be like, hey, there's 18 reasons why God loves me and not you, right? Um, in Christ, it doesn't make any sense. But can someone maybe give me a few ideas? What are ways we live like the gospel is not for everyone? Sonny, help me out, bro. Okay. When we think we're morally superior, right? You be in your, in your uh, high school or middle school class and be like, oh my gosh, my class is full of all these ugh, bozos. Or, I don't know, whatever you want to call them, right? Okay, yeah. Okay, hey, who are we, who are we sharing the gospel to? Are we only looking out to people who, who, have, who have money or look cool, look like us? Yeah. Okay, yeah, just saying, well, I don't even want to hang out with you. And yeah, there's, there's ways that uh, we should consider that, but um, God's gospel goes to everyone. Yes. Okay, well, look, I don't curse. I don't use bad language. I don't do this bad thing those people do. Yeah. Okay, I'm annoyed with you. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that to me. I don't want to talk to you. And no, I'm certainly not telling you about Jesus. Yes. Okay, yeah, they just don't deserve it. One more, Miss Marshall. Okay. 
Okay, that is a huge one, right? Um, uh, and, and that's, um, if you listen to the guy who was talking about uh, creation, evolution, Jay uh, Seeger uh, the other week, that was one of the things that you would, he talked a lot about. He's like, hey, you don't go and you just don't say, hey, look at you, look at me, I'm smarter than you. Um, but just, a, just compassion. And I think that's something we can really easily, uh, easily, easily do when we're sharing the gospel. I want to I leave you with the two ways that I see this most, shh, the two ways I see this most with middle schoolers and high schoolers, and this is true with adults too, um, but I, I see, this, uh, see this a lot. First one, um, and this, a lot of ways, this was me in high school, um, I felt, um, a lot of ways, I just, I felt like a failure, especially my freshman year of high school. I felt like no one cared. Didn't, didn't like me, whatever. I felt bad about myself. And it generally starts with some, like, I have this negative feeling about me. Well, my solution to make me feel better about me is I'm going to go around and judge the people around me. I'm going to, I'm going to be like, well, you know what? They may make fun of me, but I'm smarter than them. I have better grades than them. Um, so in the future, I'm going to get a better job and I'm going to be their boss. And then I'll laugh at them later in life when they're flipping burgers at McDonald's and I'm making money. Ha ha ha. Right. Um, or you, or you know what, uh, Daniel talked about, uh, like, Hey, well, I'm better than them because they swear they're, they're doing drugs. They're, you know, they're sleeping around They're You know, we, we look at them and we can say, hey, I am morally superior to you. And, and what happens is because we have our own fears, we have our own insecurities, we start building this wall of judgment. You want to insult me? Well, I can tell you 10 other reasons why you're stupid and I'm better than you. And we've built this wall of judgment. Shh. Um, and we've built this wall of of judgment. I'm dealing with my own anxiety, my own worries, my own problems, my own insecurities. And so I judge other people. And the real problem with that, the real problem is I will never be friends with people I'm judging. I, I don't even know you, but because I've had these worries, I have these insecurities, I've started judging people around me, and now I'll never actually become your friend because I've already had all these preconceived notions about what you're thinking about me and watch how you're looking at me and how I'm better than you, even though you're not even thinking about any of that stuff. And I've now put up this wall, this barrier of friendships. Instead of just saying, oh Lord, God, you have been so good to me. You set my identity as someone you, you sent your son to die for. And that defines who I am. That defines who I am. And I've allowed you to define that. And now I can go out and I'm not worried about what other people are thinking. Because I've accepted that grace. And that grace that God has given me is the same grace that God is giving all the people around you and has extended to everyone around you. Whether they believed or not believed, God is extending that grace to them. And when I see how that grace is real in my life and how God has given that to other people, I'm free from this worry and anxiety. What are they thinking about me? What do they do? And I no longer am judging them because of this, that, and the next thing. That's a huge area where I've seen it 
uh, in my life and in tons uh, of, uh, of other people's lives. And the kind of the second one um, is, goes kind of like this. It normally starts, you have a friendship with someone, um, marriage, you see there's a ton in marriage. It normally starts with something small that one person does, okay? Maybe, hey, I, I made a joke that you didn't think was funny, kind of rude to you. Um, you know, I ignored you. I didn't invite you. I was in, ha, invited a lot of other friends over, but I forgot, I, for whatever reason, didn't invite you. Uh, maybe I thought you were busy, and so that's why I didn't invite you, but I, maybe you actually were, and you really, you feel slighted in some way, shape, or form about a well, level one, level two offense. Not a big offense, but somehow I have slighted you. And instead of either talking to me about it, right, Instead of, instead of like, hey, can we talk about, hey, why didn't you invite me to this thing? Instead of talking about it, uh, or instead of just forgiving the other person for what they did, you know what? Hey, he's my friend. Maybe he forgot. And thinking the best of that person, I feel hurt. And what do I do in that? Well, I go and I'm like, well, they've also done this to me. They've done that to me. And I can't believe they do that other stuff. And we do that same playlist of judging, right? We use judging other people as our defense mechanisms. I don't want to feel the hurt of this rejection. So I'm now judging other people. I have my, my laundry list. Uh, and we all have our laundry list of whether we want to feel that we are physically superior to them, uh, our, our appearance is superior to them, our morals are superior to them, or our intellect is superior to them. And I, I now judge that person. And I've seen it over and over and over again in, the, in our youth group that there's two really close friends and then something really little happens and then it just escalates into something bigger and bigger. And now we never want to talk to each other again. Sit on the other side of the room, don't pretend like the other person exists. And I was like, something little happened. And you just allow these judgments to snowball into something big. And in marriage all the time, um, uh, you know, you talk to couples that are really struggling. It was something small and they just let it build it. Now I can't believe they do this and I can't believe they do that and I can't believe that. No, I am not saying that people don't do real things that are hurtful and mean to you, Okay. And I'm not saying, man, if, if someone was bullying you, there's some unsafe people that I'm not saying, hey, you really need to figure out a way to uh, be close with them. There are unsafe people out there. That is, I'm, I don't want to, I'm not try, trying to hide that. But in those situations, are we choosing to forgive or are we choosing to judge? Are we choosing to pursue them with the gospel and love? Are we saying, I'm better than you? And that's would be my challenge to us this week. As we are celebrating Easter, as we're celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't just die for you. He died for the people who offend you. He died for the people who are different than you. The gospel isn't just for me. It's for everyone. And I pray that we would really celebrate that and celebrate God's goodness in that this week. Let me pray for us. God in heaven, 
I, uh, again, just come before you really grateful and thankful that you would enter our world, you would enter our mess, you would choose to die for us, Lord. And, and I pray, Lord, that we would celebrate that, your death and resurrection this week because you have been so good and so amazing, Lord. God, as we understand what you've done for us, as we understand your grace for us, God, may it change the way that we, uh, that we see ourselves as your children. And God, may it change the way that we love and we care for those people around us, Lord. And God, may we be people um, that forgive and love because we have been forgiven and loved. We're grateful for you, Lord. Bless us this week. May we honor you in it. In your son's name we pray, amen.